I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Andrew Hill, founding director and lead neurotherapist at Peak Brain Institute. Dr. Hill, who suffered from ADHD when he was young, is one of the top brain performance coaches in the country. He holds a PhD in cognitive neuroscience from UCLA's Department of Psychology and continues to do research on attention and cognition. In addition to founding Peak Brain Institute, Dr. Hill is host of the Head First podcast with Dr. Hill, lead neuroscientist at TrueBrain and lectures at UCLA teaching courses in psychology, neuroscience, and gerontology. You can learn more about Dr. Hill and his work at peakbraininstitute.com. So thank you, Andrew, for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we want to talk, we're going to talk about ADHD. We're going to talk about, to me, the, the really big question that, that constantly sticks in my mind is nature versus nurture. ADHD, ADD, clearly a thing, a, a growing trend. People, um, kids are on it, kids are on Ritalin, Adderall, incredibly dangerous. And I really, I always want, bottom line wants to get to the root of things and what really understanding the root cause and what people can do about it. So let's start with nature versus nurture. I want to talk about that. So let's start with the definition. Tell me the de technical definition of ADHD. So ADHD is a, a bucket these days, which contains several different uh, types of executive function dysregulation. Uh, we used to have different labels for different variants of ADHD. Now it's all ADHD with subtypes. And, and the subtypes will describe certain challenges in sustaining your attention, in inhibiting your responses. A lot of executive function is driven by the ability to put the brakes on. And so you can sort of think about a lot of executive uh, prefrontal you know, parts of your brain as being the uh, ability to say no and to stop other automatic things from happening. This is why you get sort of fidgety behavior or interrupty kids with ADHD. The, the ability to pump the brakes internally just isn't there the same way. Um, so it, it, it's, it's this broad executive function thing that comes along with features uh, of either vigilance ma management problems or in, inhibitory tone, if you will problems. So, but, okay, so has it always existed? And, and I know this is a discussion that people in my generation are, are forever saying, they didn't have kids with ADHD when we were young. There might be a kid that was a little bit busy, had ants in his pants, but it wasn't this thing and it wasn't this diagnosis and a discussion among all the moms at their coffee clutches. So what yeah. changed? Well, I mean, the diagnostic criteria and the awareness of it changed a fair amount. Um, uh, I think also it, it became overdiagnosed for whatever reasons, the, the, the diagnostic criteria, um, and maybe inclusion in that bucket changed such that now it's about 11% of kids that are diagnosed with it. I think they went up by 41% or something between it, between 2003 and 2011. Um, so That's really a big pretty jump. rapid growth. Yeah, it is. Did anything um, other, change in the environment? Like, did the kids change, or this is a diagnostic thing? No, the kids did not change. Um, knowing that there was something uh, that could be labeled, probably, you know, uh, uh, successfully or validly included some kids who weren't getting included before. And then I would also argue that with we sort of have a school system that tries to identify and medicate these days. And so there's a, there is overdiagnosis that's pretty dramatic, I would assume. Um, it seems to be pretty rampant. And, and the you know, use of stimulants is pretty rampant, too. So I often get kids coming in without pure ADHD diagnoses, and they, they're already on stimulants you know, for anxiety and things that just they shouldn't have stimulants for. 
Um, so I, I see this, this, this blanket diagnostic process happening to the point where we're over 10% now. I don't think that the ADHD-ness of human brains has changed in the past you know, several hundred years. I, I, I really don't think it's a, um, a product of the diagnostic labels that have created more ADHD. I just think we're, we're better at finding people in, who fit in that bucket and the bucket's being overused. So, okay, let's start with the, the brain itself and the, the biology of the brain. Is there a genetic factor? Is there like, who gets this, right? And where yeah. is, is there a biochemical mutation that's happening? Why, why are some brains this way yeah. and some not? Um, when thinking about this, I think about executive function or ADHD, uh, this is not something like cancer or bipolar disease or seizures. This is not a dysregulation of the problem all the way at one end of, the, uh, of, of how the body works. This is a normal variability. People have the ability, everyone, to be wide and novelty-seeking and pattern-matching and integrate all the different high-stimulus things coming at you and extract the, you know, the meaning of the patterns. And people have the ability to sit down, heads down, and work on things very, very in front of them, very uh, single-point attention. Uh, ADHD as a diagnostic category, I think we should con conceptualize as being a little bit more biased towards being in that novelty-seeking, pattern-matching, you know, being more of a hunter and less of a gatherer by default. And we only should probably pathologize it and give it a diagnostic label when it's extreme and when people are pretty, pretty much stuck in that period. I mean, I was born in 1971, a few days into 1971, and we didn't know what ADHD was in the 70s, really. Um, and I was the most ADHD person you have ever met until about, a, you know, until about age 28 or something. Uh, so there was no understanding of it going through grade school and even into high school. And after college, I got, I got a diagnosis and it was, it was sort of like, oh yeah, of course, you know, but I was profoundly ADHD in the seventies and eighties and it didn't really change until I did neurofeedback and uh, addressed it. But it, it did happen. Nowadays, I think we're seeing more of it in kids. I don't think that it's all ADHD. I think there's a lot of anxiety. I think there's a lot of sleep issues. I think there's a lot of behavioral dysregulation. Some of that looks like ADHD when you are profoundly underrested, anxious, there's home trauma. And so I think that because it's a popular and obvious diagnosis with an easy medication to give, that we end up lumping people into that you know, diagnostic bucket too easily. Yeah, I want to talk more about that in a minute. I want to finish off that because... I have my theory, like, are we creating ADHD in our kids because of the environment, because of the lack of sleep, because of parents who just aren't paying attention and these kids are looking for attention. But so let me ask you about this. Did you come out of the womb with ADHD? Do kids at yes, two years old, do I they did. have it? And do yeah. other kids, you can, so it, it's either from the start. It's not like they yeah. were normal and then it accelerated or is that in this right. group? That's, no, no, it, it, it doesn't right. show up as, it, it's not an acquired problem. It doesn't show up like autism does, where you're fine for a couple of years often, and then it, then it unfolds. Um, it, no, it's how your brain is biased. It's how it's built. Evolutionarily, it makes sense to have people who notice everything first, even if they can't sit and weed plants. You know, They're going to notice the, the tiger first or the, the hard-to-spot berry before the next person does. Um, so, so you would have been a really good caveman. Yeah, phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal caveman. You for would noticing, not have been eaten yeah. by the saber-toothed tiger. Right. I would have noticed it first. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and yet, under boring environments, I have a really hard time, historically people with ADHD do, I have a really hard time engaging myself um, unless the environment demands it. That, that's the downside of this hunter versus gatherer is the, the ADHD brain isn't as good at marshalling resources automatically or on, at, at, uh, under voluntary control. And they're really good at marshalling resources when the environment demands it. And this is true of cavemen. It's also true of teenagers nowadays. So you, you know, every teen out there with ADHD is doing stupid things because they're seeking stimulus. You know, they're, they're on video games all day long. They're uh, having risky sex, taking drugs, surfing. Well, surfing is not so stupid, but doing things that are high stimulus because part of this, this hunter brain is, is a, a prefrontal cortex, that frontal lobe, if you will, that is a little bit underactive relative to people without ADHD because it's under filtering and under breaking. And so only under times of high conflict, high stress and high stimulus does the ADHD brain fully turn on all of its resources. And those are the kind of, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a trope that the 14 year old boy who plays video games can play video games for 15 hours straight without a break, but can't sit in a classroom for 15 minutes if it's boring. Same kid. Well, why can he hyper-focus way above average in some environments and way below average in other environments? This is not a deficit of attention. It's a deficit of control of attention, not the amount. And so if you look at people that have this kind of brain, they have amazing abilities to focus when things are threatening, dangerous, sexy, appetitive in some extreme way. This also means that kids with ADHD and, and adults will train people around them to fight with them. Because under conflict circumstances, their prefrontal cortex is also lit up pretty thoroughly. So your 15-year-old kid's pushing your buttons because when you're yelling at them, they feel alive and crisp and alert and on. That's crazy. You know, so, right. so it's, this, it's this regulatory strategy the brain adopts of a lower active filter, lower breaks, and more easily driven by stimulus, novelty, patterns, reward. And so it tends to be biased towards noticing things and novelty and... So, pattern extraction and stuff like that. So does the high activity, the high, the video games, the, the frequent messaging, the, um, all the things that you have act, access to online and high stimulation, at the age when these kids are teens, when their prefrontal cortex is still developing, because I think it doesn't fully develop until, what, the mid-20s? Yeah. So does the environment that these kids are in accelerate or exacerbate the problem? Like, do you end up, do you start out with a baseline of vulnerability? And then because it needs the stimulation, because it's looking for that, or is it making it worse, right? Again, yeah, kind it's of trying it to separate out nature nurture. Yeah, it's making it worse at a behavioral level, not at a brain level. So you're not, you're, you aren't learning, your brain is not learning to become more ADHD. But the ADHD brain tends to be more stimulus driven. And so you end up with, you know, managing your 14-year-old's disengagement from the video games is a behavioral problem. Them playing the games does not make the problem worse. Except in terms of the physiology of the brain tissue, it makes it worse in terms of the expectations, the habits, the boundary management of their behavior, which I would argue is a problem for all teenagers everywhere. Yes. Um, so, so learning that piece of it, learning to manage your behavior based on the expectations, the demands of the environment is a core piece of humanness, you know, becoming a, a, a social human. You have to do that regardless. I would say that having high stimulus uh, short time, you know, short engagement stuff out there, Instagrams, blurbs, you know, uh, clickbait headlines. It teaches that 15 year old or 12 year old or 10 year old brain to engage with the world in a shorter amount of time and to more quickly switch gears. 
But that was the superpower anyways of the ADHD person. And so it just kind of gets them to be ADHD. It doesn't necessarily create it out of anything. It just teaches them that staying in that mode makes sense. Right. So the brain tends to stay in that mode. But you could take that kid who can't do anything for more than 30 seconds, who's glued to their phone, you know, has tantrums when they're challenged and has no ability to self-regulate. That kid can be taken out of all those high stimulus, high moment to moment stimulus environments. And within a few days, they would change. So, and it, so to adapt. it can be trained back. I was going to say, so it's reinforcing the high stimulation, but it can be trained back when you try to get it to learn how right. to focus that brain. It's not changing the brain in some way to make it more ADHD. It's just giving the, the behavior some free reign to get a little dysregulated. Got it. Okay, let's take a break. I want to come back and I want to talk about the parenting role in ADHD and again, this, diagnos- this increase in diagnosis of it. Uh, we'll be back in a minute with Dr. Andrew Hill. I'm talking to Dr. Andrew Hill, one of the top brain performance coaches in the country, about the epidemic of attention deficit disorder. Staying focused in an increasingly frenetic world is just one of the many challenges facing our brains, as poor eating, sedentary lifestyle, and environmental influences increase the risk of depression, early onset dementia, memory loss and stroke, not to mention the impact of traumatic brain injury on our brain health. You don't have to succumb to these challenges. The editors of Bottom Line have created an encyclopedic volume of super brain boosting secrets that can improve brain performance and reduce the risk of memory loss. We think that dementia and memory issues are old age problems, but the damage actually begins decades before any symptoms are seen. Don't be a victim. Learn what leading researchers and experts are telling their patients about staying sharp. Bottom Line Super Brain Boosting Secrets is just one of their many books on helping people create abundant health. Go to bottomlinestore.com forward slash boost to order your copy today. And use the promo code podcast for 20% off. That's bottomlinestore.com forward slash boost to order Bottom Line's Super Brain Boosting Secrets today. Okay, we're back with Dr. Andrew Hill, and we're talking about nature versus nurture when it comes to ADHD and the ADHD brain. And um, Andrew, you said earlier when we were talking that the diagnosis of ADHD is up 41%, I think you said, in the last like 10 years or so, which to me is crazy. Yeah, in the 2000s, it jumped dramatically. So let's talk about the parenting role in it, because, you know, I... I hang around in areas where I have a whole lot of parents that, you know, you, you hear about attention for kids and the kids need for attention. And you spoke before about the ADHD brain needing attention and they'll pick a fight with a parent just to stimulate that piece of the brain. So what role do parents have in either exacerbating the problem and or bringing their kid in who doesn't, doesn't behave well and mm. having them diagnosed with an attention issue when really it's a behavioral parenting? Could we just get some rules for the kids issue? Yeah. I mean, again, I think we have to be careful with a diagnostic label, believing that the map is the territory here. It may be useful to think about, okay, my kid has some attention problems. It may be a a benefit for taking tests. He's inattentive, spacey, needs more time. He's impulsive, can't take a test in a a busy environment or something, it may be useful. There may be an accommodation that the school systems can give you here. But the, the label may not be useful. And telling your kid, hey, there's something wrong with you also may not be useful. Telling your kid, oh, you inhibit, you, you pump the brakes in your brain much less than average, and that gives you some superpowers in hyper-focusing and finding patterns and some slight downside in managing your own attention when things aren't exciting. And therefore, kiddo, you do X, Y, and Z. You stay up late and surf the internet looking for stimulus. 
because your brain wants is thirsty for input. You may pick fights with your little sister or me, kiddo, because you're um, understimulated and your brain tends to. So helping the person develop some self-insight will take away the labeling, you know, oh, something wrong with you and move you more into a sense of agency. Oh, hey, my brain works this way, has these benefits, has these slight you know, bottlenecks in performance. And then the kid starts, especially the ADHD person, where, where this is not a deficit. I mean, even the most profoundly impaired ADHD person, that comes along with a superpower. You know, thinking profoundly quickly and seeing patterns, maybe so, having some unusual you know, skills in language or math. I mean, there's usually some major benefits that come along with having this kind of brain and some major deficits. But if these parents are taking their kids in to get, I'll call it diagnosed, or they're going yeah. in and talking to the pediatrician, and the solution is some disease state diagnosis and let me give yeah. them drugs versus yeah. they're not getting the right advice that frames it as you're saying it this is just an awesome brain that's optimized to pay attention to a bunch of stuff yeah. and parent here's what you need to do to work with your kid yes to help maximize yes. that skill and understand it the same way some kid is artsy and some kid is a superhuman runner that's right and, and, those, and there's lots of strategies. I mean, there's lots of things to directly address it if the behavior is, let's say, is dysregulated because the ADHD is so bad. And you could do things like mindfulness and meditation and maybe some movement-driven things that are useful for some kids, you know, sports and things to channel some of that. Um, there may be some ways to actually get rid of it for some kids for whom it's stuck, you know, neurofeedback and other ways of addressing the ADHD directly. So, but the, the point is not a label coming from on high that tells the kid they are X, Y, and Z. It's more about helping the person understand themselves and have the agency of taking control. Let because alone to use it as a crutch. As let you alone said, use it as a crutch. These kids yeah. have to survive in life outside of when mom comes in and they asks do. the teacher for additional time for a test. They do. And so maybe they need additional time initially as they're dealing with the ADD or something, but maybe they also need to learn how to scaffold their time using uh, you know, getting things done uh, task sheets or using a nice planner that they've learned to work with well. I mean, there's accommodations. You know, if, if a kid had a vision problem, you wouldn't say, how dare you be, be uh, uh, you know, poorly sighted in my classroom? Get them some glasses. And the uh, Adderall and accommodations on time are the two biggest things we think about for accommodations in ADHD, but they're by no means the most effective or the most useful. Um, and they don't give the kid the sense of agency. Oh, to, oh, you're being behavioral, take your Adderall. You know, that's really, or, oh, the kid's acting out more in class, let's give them a second patch of concern in the afternoon. I see that all the time. They, they add secondary meds in the afternoon because the kid's behavior gets a bit frayed. Right. Of course it does. He's been in stimulants since 7 a.m. Well, not only that, you know? he's, he's needing to sit still while the teacher drones on or yells at some other kid who's misbehaving. Yep. I'm convinced, I have, I have two daughters in their 20s, I'm convinced that I only heard a fraction of the stories of the hell that goes on in any classroom. In I'm terms sure. of the amount of time being bored, the amount of time the teacher spent um, on whatever administrative stuff, they're yelling at somebody. There's a whole opportunity for these kids' brains to, yes, they're going to explode with, please yeah. give me the inputs I need. Yes, and, and, they, and they aren't even going to necessarily know that. So, you know, little Jimmy being fidgety or impulsive or shouting things out or leaving his chair ends up becoming a big problem because, A, it's disruptive. B, Jimmy doesn't know why he's doing it. And so if you can give the kid some agency, some perspective on why it happens, some sense of, oh, okay, I'm, I'm fidgety this way or I need to stimulate myself that way, then people, I mean, people want to operate at their best, be it teenage kids or you know, burnt-out CEOs. And so if you give people some control, some agency, some sense of what's changing, they will often start to modify 
their behavior to get the most out of it. So, are so there, yeah. Are there programs that exist or that even, you know, maybe maybe here's an, here's an opportunity for you and your business to work with the schools. I know mm. they're doing that on on teaching methods that would apply to all the kids. You know, some kids have ADD, some don't, but they all need to learn to focus their brain, to quiet their brain, to be able to take some deep breaths yeah. and settle themselves down. Yeah, yeah. We, we do a lot of that already. Peak right. Brain does a lot of mindfulness training. Right. Um, and it's one of, the, one of the free services we do typically for the community where we uh, will have free mindfulness classes. And mindfulness is just directed attention. It does look in the literature that as you learn to direct your attention every day for a few minutes, you build executive function. You, you eliminate some of the, the downsides of ADHD. So we, we, just, we do some of that work at Peak Brain. You know, most of what I do is something called neurofeedback or training the brain's electricity using biofeedback. And we usually eliminate ADHD in three or four months of training and usually for good. So, so important for people to know that, that like, that's a huge statement with all the Ritalin and Adderall that's out there. You're eliminating yeah, a, ADHD. Limited, yeah, almost always we get um, a couple of standard deviations of performance change on behavior tests in three or four months that are stable. And usually a couple of standard deviations of brain changes too. So if you come in and look at your brain and we find that you have a classic ADHD marker, let's say high theta brain waves, which is almost always means ADHD, like 95% of the time it means that or something. Um, and then you exercise those brain waves down that are stuck on you don't lose the ability to move into this hyper-focused ADHD state, but you aren't stuck there anymore. So you can still play your video games or do your high-focused sports, and then you can sit in the boring classroom or boardroom and turn on the same hyper-focus if you need to. So it becomes a voluntary exercise of resources, kind of like reaching down and picking up something heavy. You don't think about activating the biceps. You just pick up something heavy if you have the strength. As you develop more executive function resources with biofeedback, the ADHD-ness, the dysregulated behavior goes away, even though you may still have the ability to shift into that sort of superpower right. ADHD mode. You just learned how to manage your superpowers. So two yeah. other quick questions. Um, one, how about exercise? You know, a lot of schools, they're doing away with gym, they're doing away with recess. Um, what yeah. role does activity have on kids It seems kids to with play ADHD? a huge role. Right. Yeah, it seems to play a huge role. We're not exactly sure all the details. There's a bunch of studies that have come out recently showing that there is an impact. And 20 minutes of play outside, not inside, but outside seems to make a difference. And one of the studies I read was interesting for kids with hyperactivity, classic the H and ADHD, for the classic hyperactive kids, that outdoor play space needs to be open spaces, needs to actually have a big field where they can see things in the distance and run around. It can't just be like an enclosed courtyard where kids are playing outdoors. It has to actually be like a free-range kid running around. Interesting. So, and how about organized versus unorganized? Like, you know, go climb on the jungle gym versus let's play kickball. Um, I don't know is a short answer. My guess is they're both quite beneficial. I think the, the organization uh, stuff is probably more beneficial for somebody, a kid with ADHD, because they're also having difficulty learning to structure the behavior to play with others, maybe some social. I mean, ADHD comes along with often anxiety, social issues, sleep issues, other kind of weird, quirky things, and a, and a weird, quirky brain. And so you often have some issues with social integration a little bit, and that's hugely beneficial to get some of that time in uh, and learn to play nice and to share and to have boundaries and to have your expectations violated and to lose. <laughs> hugely important if you're lose. not flexible in your attention, right? Lose. Right? It's hugely important. Right. Um, but... I don't think it matters. I mean, if you're getting 20 minutes of running around in a jungle gym, 
versus 20 minutes of kickball, I think that they're both probably quite amazing for your brain. And certainly better um, than sitting. It's certainly better than, than sitting inside playing Pokemon yes. uh, on, your, on your phone or something, yeah. Now, how about diet? Diet's a tough one because it's often very individualized. Mm -hmm. um, people have very strong feelings about it, too, usually. Uh, diet's not just about the food you eat. It's also about your society, your culture, your politics, uh, your ethics, you know. So with all that in context, I will say that in general, the brain-healthy diets we talk about, regardless of kids with ADHD, elders with dementia, people with seizures, regardless of what we're talking about, the brain-healthy diet tends to be a low-starch, no-sugar, high-fat, moderate-protein diet. Yeah. And so many kids, I remember talking to a mom, she had two boys, they were relatively out of control boys. She's giving these little kids Coca-Cola, no slam on oh. trademark Coca-Cola. And I said, oh. did you ever consider maybe not caffeine and not sugar? She goes, well, it doesn't affect them. How would you know you've never seen them not with it if you're handing it to them at that age? I will say 3% of people with ADHD, I think is what, this, what the percentage is, 3% get the uh, stimulant effect you get from Adderall, Ritalin, et cetera, from caffeine. Not a large number, right. but if you are one of those few people, I have seen parents, every so often, I'll have a parent who uses caffeinated beverages successfully with their ADHD kid. I think sometimes they self-medicate or you medicate the kid with Coke or with, you know, co with coffee or with energy drinks, and they discover it works, and that reinforces the use of that tool. Um, it doesn't work very often, and, and the high fructose corn syrup causing uh, insulin sensitiv insensitivity, uh, metabolic syndrome secondary inflammation in the brain, that's going to exacerbate executive function, attention management issues, exacerbate stress, degrade the quality of sleep, and ADHD seems to have a sleep spindle stabilization issue. Uh, almost every person with ADHD will have a sleep issue, essentially, that comes along with it. And um, you can exacerbate the sleep issue, ramp up all of the symptoms dramatically way above where they need to be simply because of other things you're doing lifestyle-wise. So diet can absolutely do this. Uh, fructose should not be consumed. So high fructose corn syrup should not be consumed by really anybody. No. Certainly not kids. Right. Kids, you know, kids need a large quantity of good, healthy fats. Their brains are you know, more than two-thirds DHA. So they need some good quality non-oxidizing omega-3 fatty acids. They need to minimize omega-6 fatty acids in the diet. You know, to no, no grains, no grain-fed meat, lots and lots of grass-fed meat, lots of free-range chickens. Uh, you know, wild fish. So somewhere uh, between of, the paleo and the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somewhere in that, in, in there. And, and, you know, paleo is anti-dairy, which I think is more about your genetics and culture than anything else. You yes. know, which gut biome do you have? Which genetics do you have? Right. I, I, I like the primal diet, which is like a, a paleo, but a little bit more sane about dairy, a little bit less vilifying it. Um, it's also more focused on the carb limits, not spiking your blood sugar by high carb food. And I think that's really critical when you're talking about this whole problem. It's a lot about insulin, uh, not spiking it. So you stay in a lower range of insulin um, uh, blood sugar. So the insulin can actually stay varying around a range. Most health problems, be it ADHD or you know, d dementia, a lot of things that we call disease happen because we fail to keep ranging around something that normally should oscillate or have a variable range in the body. When it stops ranging, illness and death happens. Right. Um, so one of the most obvious ways we do that is with high fructose corn syrup and other high starchy foods. We make insulin go up and stay up, and eventually the cells that listen for insulin stop hearing it because it doesn't vary. And that's the insulin insensitivity. That is the first step of diabetes and uh, is present in metabolic syndrome, which is up in dementia and Alzheimer's. 
So huge, huge features. Um, you have to really get the kid or the adult for that matter, lots of good fats and almost no starches. All right. That's huge. I, I'm a big, big believer in diet and health impact. All right. Dr. Andrew Hill, thank you so much. So enlightening that ADHD, it's a condition, but it's manageable and it does not require drugs, lifestyle, brain training. You can overcome it. Thank you so Absolutely. much. My pleasure.